I'd love to read. But I don't have the... The scripture reading for today is from Galatians 1. Galatians 1, verses 11 through 24. And if you'd like to read along, you can find it on page 6 of your bulletin. Galatians 1, verses 11 through 24. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God who set me apart from birth and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, we ask that this word, this story, would come alive to us. Jesus, we need you more than we know. And so we pray that you would send us your spirit, and that spirit, you would wander into the different areas of our lives, the different rooms of our lives, and find that exact place where we need you most, whether if it's a word of comfort, or if it's a word of challenge, or if it's simply a word of promise, whatever it might be, get in there and do your thing, your thing of redemption of grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we started a new teaching series on the book of Galatians, and today we're pressing forward to the next section of Paul's letter, where he's now telling a little bit about his autobiography, his personal story, as part of his building up of his argument. And you say, well, what is he arguing? What is he presenting before this church in Asia Minor, or these churches, rather, in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey? And the answer is this. He's writing a letter to clarify the gospel, which is another word that means good news or great announcement. The good news that Jesus has done 
everything required by God to make us right with God. It's a story of grace that Paul is trying to recapture and reclaim that Jesus has done everything required by God to make us right with God. In fact, it's a teaching that started to get corrupted or lost or confused in this church by false teachers and new innovative ideas that started seeping in to the Galatian community. Teachers that were saying, well, Paul's message of grace that you heard originally, well, that was good, but let's give you the advanced version of things. Paul told you some good things, but what we need to do now is to add to his message, add to Jesus, in fact. Believing in Jesus is a good place to start, but now you need to really work hard to stay in God's good favor. What Paul is trying to do here is clarify what he means and what the whole of Scripture means when it says that our relationship with God is accomplished, is achieved, is given to us as good news, as gospel. And Paul's main point in this whole passage that we're looking at today is found really in the first two verses of the passage. Verses 11 and 12. He says this. Let's read it again. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ and everything that comes after it, which is an autobiography. You see in verse 13, the first word there is for or because. He's explaining from that point on how his personal story demonstrates that the good news that he is preaching, that we are hearing, is not man-made, but is from the very heart and the mind of God. And so what he does and what we're going to look at here is how Paul points us to the origin of the gospel, And secondly, the life-changing power of the gospel. The origin of the gospel and the life-changing power of the gospel. So first, the origin of the gospel. Where did it come from? You'll notice Paul makes two arguments. He says, first, it didn't come from me. And secondly, it didn't come from nobody. It didn't come from me. Not my own ideas, my own reasoning about God. Paul reminds us, look, I used to hate this gospel. I used to hate it. Verse 13, for you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and even tried to destroy it. As we find out in the book of Acts, which is sort of the early church's history book, Paul was utterly convinced that Jesus was just one of many imposter messiahs who were making blasphemous claims to be God himself and that all of his followers were no good heretics. Paul was utterly convinced of this, and so he went out to try to destroy this new movement centered around the person of Jesus. He says, I wasn't a nominal follower of Judaism with all these beliefs that I had either. I wasn't just easily persuaded by a new vision of God. Rather, in verse 14, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age. I was head of the class. 
Not a nominal believer, but head of the class and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. What is he saying? There's nothing natural in me personally or in my background that would lead me just to start preaching or even believing in this idea of grace being the only true way to God. There's nothing in my story. In fact, everything about my personal story was pointing me in exactly the opposite direction. God had to intrude. His second argument, not only it didn't come from me, but it didn't come from nobody, not from any other human being either. Everything in verses 17 to 24 is Paul trying to demonstrate I had no contact with Jewish Christian headquarters, which was the city of Jerusalem, the center of the early Christian movement. That's why there are all these strange geographical details that Paul seems to be given. Maybe you got lost in it when he's saying, I went here and then I went here and then I went there. You notice he's trying to make the point that I didn't go to Jerusalem for any length of time time. Second half of verse 16 and on, I didn't consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. He talks about going to Syria and Cilicia and Judea, and he only talks about later on going to Jerusalem, and that only three years after he had already been preaching this good news for a while. And when he was there, it was only for 15 days, so he couldn't have his mind changed about the things that he was teaching or believing in that short period of time. Do you see the argument that Paul is trying to build up here? I didn't learn it from any human being. It came from Jesus himself who came, intruded in on my life, stopped me in my tracks, literally, on the road to Damascus, Syria. The risen Jesus who appeared to me and by his grace called me to himself, changed my life, and gave me this new way of grace to proclaim to all people as the true way to having a right relationship with God. This is what Paul is arguing here. And lest we think it's just a technical argument, can we apply this a little bit to our own context and to our own lives briefly before moving on? Let me ask you, friends, how do you know what you believe you know about God? Whether if you're a professing Christian or you are someone that's brand new to this or maybe you're a professing believer of another faith or maybe none at all, but where does your view of God come from? Your understanding of how one gets right with God and stays right with God. See, what Paul is saying is that the only way that you can really have confidence in some explanation and some answer to those questions, the only way you can have confidence is if you know that it came from God himself. Most of us, however, are simply content to say the opposite thing that Paul is saying. I believe that God just expects me to be a basically good person. And if I were to ask you, well, how do you know that? I believe this because it feels right to me or because it kind of makes sense in my head 
or because I like the idea, or because I want to believe in a God like that. It's coming from me, and I'm okay with the fact that it comes from me. Or maybe for others of us, it's the second argument that makes no sense to us. Because we say, well, I believe this or that about God, who he is and how I relate to him. Well, because other people told me so. Maybe that was the tradition that I was raised up in. Maybe that's what my parents told me to believe. Maybe that's what this book or that other book that I read recently also taught me. Tradition, temple, church, but essentially it boils down to hearing it from other people, and we're okay with that. Dear friends, yes, God uses people. Let's not exclude that. Yes, God communicates with us and teaches us in many different ways, but do you hear Paul's argument? The gospel is not something that man made up. This is something that if you have in its fullest form, you can believe comes from the very heart of God, the very mind of God, and that's what makes it worth banking your whole life upon. I mean, put it this way, friends, really, really, are you going to bank the meaning meaning of life upon an opinion that you and your buddies just conjured up yourself? Is that really the fragile framework for existence that you want to be aligning yourself to? I mean, really? And I'm not saying it's easy to assent to or believe or embrace this idea that the Bible really does communicate the heart of God and that Paul really is giving to us everything exactly as God has given it to us in the gospel. I understand for some of you that's difficult. But do you understand what you have here if you can come around on that point and believe it? That when God himself in the good news of Jesus says, Jesus has paid for all of your sins. You can say, based upon the authority of God, that if I have embraced Jesus, that's not my opinion. In fact, it's a truth that I need to wage against every other opinion, even my own, that I am forgiven. Do you see the difference it makes if you can say that this good news comes not from me, not from someone else, but from God? You can contradict the evidence of your life and of your heart and say, thus saith the Lord. I am saved. I am clean. I am loved. I am cared for as a son or a daughter. I'm right with God, unchangeably so. I know it's true because God says so. Do you understand the difference it makes? But secondly... Do you understand that the implication of Paul's argument is that grace as a way to God is not something man made up because it's literally out of this world. That it is so unexpected and counterintuitive to the way that we normally expect to relate to God. Think about it. On the cross... The gospel tells us Jesus wins our salvation by losing. And he gives us life by dying. And he achieves power through powerlessness. 
And he offers spiritual wealth by impoverishing himself. And those who receive his salvation are not the strong and the accomplished, but rather those who admit that they're weak and low and lost. To be low is to be high, and the way down in the gospel is the way up. And nothing in this world will tell you that that is the way it is except this gospel. Nothing in the world will tell you that God is a God of grace and life can be defined by upside down grace. But this word and this gospel. Because everything in our minds and hearts wants to believe that we can achieve our way into the presence of God. Everything in our life and heart will drift back into a world and life of gracelessness. In other words, we should expect it to take time to grasp the gospel of grace because we have to relearn or rather even unlearn all the anti-grace ways of thinking and of living that is hardwired into us. Okay, so if some of you are getting impatient with your processing of the Christian faith, have patience. This helps us to expect it to take time. But also for those of us that maybe are professing Christians and you're learning the way of the gospel, that you know it should take time to drill it into your lives. Because there's nothing natural about this way of thought. There's nothing natural about this way of relating to God through Jesus. Because man doesn't make this up. Only God could reveal this way and give it to us. This is the origin of the gospel. Not from us, but rather from God. And this changes everything. It changes our lives, in fact, which brings us to the second main point or theme here, the life-changing power of the gospel. And what I want to do here is point out a couple things I think we learn about conversion. Maybe that's a scary word for you. This idea of how someone starts a new relationship with God. And of course, this is helpful for those of you that are professing followers of Jesus so that you understand how you came to be where you are. Sometimes it's helpful to see a road map to see where I've been to figure out where I am now. And the way we're going to do this is just to look at Paul's little mini autobiography. And we'll notice that there are four questions that Paul's story raises and addresses. Four questions about how the gospel has power to change our lives. First question, number one, are you starting to see that God has been pursuing you? You see, most of the time when we're moving along in our spiritual journey, we mainly think of it in terms of my pursuit of God or my seeking of God, or my search for truth. It starts with me and it moves outwards to God. Notice how Paul talks about his story, his coming to this new relationship with God. Verse 15, but when God, he's the subject here, who set me apart from birth, called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. 
You see, notice how when Paul talks about how he ultimately came to grasp the gospel, he doesn't say, and then I did this, and then I made that decision, and then when I chose this, but rather God is the dominant figure in his story. Paul has come to see it this way. God is the chief actor. God is the chief pursuer. Every story of conversion, every story of a new relationship with God is always a story of being chased by grace. Are you seeing that in your life? Are you seeing that in your life? That the ultimate reason why you believe is that Jesus got a hold of you. That your father has been chasing after you. That God called you. That the gospel got a hold of you. And in fact, that oftentimes that God is pursuing us and chasing after us for much longer than we realize. You saw that language in verse 15, God who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace. Friends, do you realize that God is more creative and more persistent with you and me in pursuing us and writing our stories than we typically think. Great teacher John Stott, who's no longer with us, but he did some incredible teaching in the last century, makes this point in his book. It's called Why I Am a Christian, a really helpful little mini book if any of you are interested in hearing one person's explanation of how they came to faith and what the main pillars of his faith in Christ are all about. But this is what he says, I think, that's relevant to this point. I am persuaded that at some point in our lives, we have felt the pricking and heard the knocking of Jesus Christ, even though we may not have recognized what it was. For there are many different ways in which he seeks us, pursues us, and warns us, sometimes, It's through a sense of shame and guilt as we're horrified by the depths of depravity to which we're capable of sinking. Or it may be the deep, dark pit of depression in which nothing makes sense and everything is absurd. Some of you might be in that place today. Or it may be the fear of death. Alternately and positively, we may on occasion be overwhelmed with wonder by something stunningly beautiful to the ear the eye, or the touch. Or again, we may experience either the ecstasy of undeserved love or the acute pain of unrequited love. Some of you may be experiencing that today. A broken heart. Because we know instinctively that love is the greatest thing in the world. It is in such moments as these that Jesus Christ draws near to us and uses his hand to knock. If you could, and I urge that you would, take some time to think about your life. As Paul did, maybe even going back as far as your birth. Dear friends, where do you see the fingerprints of God all over your life? Where do you see signs of Him pursuing you? Speaking to you? Wooing you? Urging you? challenging you, even through hard times, maybe most especially through hard times and events of pain and loss. 
Where do you see and sense God working even though you didn't know it at the time and maybe even now? That some area of your life that you've just been pushing off as irrelevant to your search for God or of your present relationship with God may be the very thing He's after and the very thing that He's doing in your life to open more of you to the reality of His grace. Dear friends, reflect this coming week on your testimony, on your story, on your journey. Question number two. Question number two. Are you starting to see the difference between the gospel and religion? Are you starting to see the difference between the gospel of grace and religion? Look at verse 14. Paul says in his story, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age, and I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father, but God called me by his grace. You see, Paul was already deeply religious, deeply committed to religious tradition. Head of the class. He did a lot of good things. In fact, his whole life was devoted to a lot of good things. And yet still he says, I did not know the gospel. You can be religious and know nothing about the grace of God. You can do a lot of good things and be more alienated from God then you might typically look out at a person that you think does bad things that you would never do and realize that you're more alienated even than they. See, most everyone gets the idea that we rebel against God by breaking moral rules. It's a general understanding of things. Do you know, friends, that you can rebel against God by extremely and zealously keeping God's rules? If you're using your good behavior and your moral goodness as a way of avoiding Jesus as Savior... Where you want to perform so well in daily life... So that you can say to yourself or even say to God, I'm so good, I'm so upright, I'm so decent, I'm so obedient, I don't need grace anymore. In fact, I don't need God anymore. We don't usually say it that way. But this is usually the way that we can tend to start pursuing a life of quote-unquote righteousness or obedience which can so easily become dead morality and dead religion. We have an instinct to try to use our moral goodness as a way to keep ultimate control over our lives and even to use our goodness as a bargaining chip with God. God, look at all that I've done for you. I've kept all the rules. I've been a good person. However you define that. For some, it's private morality. For others, it's social justice morality. But if that's all you believe that God requires of you, oftentimes we bring that before God and we say, this is what I've done, now you owe me. Now where are all the things that you will do for me? Guess who's God now? 
Oh, dear friends, Christianity is not an invitation to become more traditional or more religious. The gospel is not the same thing as that. In fact, the gospel frees you from slavery to your goodness. The gospel frees you from slavery to your goodness. Slavery to having to have control of your life. To have slavery from having to control all the circumstances of life. Having to control God in your life. And you wonder why we're so exhausted all the time. Are you starting to see the difference between the gospel and mere tradition and mere religion? Thirdly, are you starting to see Jesus? Are you starting to see Jesus. There are ways to pursue God and completely miss the point of Jesus. And I had Christians in mind when I said that. But it also applies to those of you that are just investigating things. Paul talks about his story, his life change, as a story of his powerful, radical confrontation with the person of Jesus Christ and his grace. Paul actually did see Jesus with his literal eyes when he appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus, but he's actually talking about a different kind of sight He says in verse 16, God was pleased to reveal his son in me. And in fact, understand, friends, I talk to people and they say, well, maybe things might be different in my process if I actually got to meet Jesus physically before my very eyes. Do you know there were a lot of people that got that chance and it didn't change anything for them? Physical, visible Sight of him was not the issue. What Paul here is talking about is the eyes of our hearts, of our souls being able to see him in all of his glory, in all of his beauty, in all of his truth, in all of his attractiveness. God was pleased to reveal his son in me. A personal encounter with him, his death in my place. His love for me shown on the cross. Getting right with God by embracing the person of Jesus. Not adding to what he did by the things that I do, but taking it as a gift and just simply saying yes and thank you. And that being enough for God. Is it enough for you? Is it enough for you? But sometimes we do understand that it's all about Jesus and we say, okay, so I embrace Jesus or I'm trying to or I'm hoping to. But quietly we also believe that this Jesus is being offered to us with a begrudging heart. Almost as if God is sort of stuck in one of those cell phone contracts that you kind of wish you could get out of, but you sort of have to honor it. God forgives you, but he kind of wishes he didn't have to. Or God will love you, but he's only doing it because he's in a binding contract. Did you hear what Paul said about Jesus? About the way that God gives his son to us, in us. What did he say? God was pleased to reveal his son in me. God was pleased. 
God is pleased to reveal His Son through the good news of grace to you. Which means it makes God happy for Him to forgive your sins. Dear friends, it makes God happy to call you my son, my daughter. It makes God happy to bring a morally ugly, broken sinner into his family and to call you through his son, his most treasured possession. It gives joy to the heart of God. Can you believe that? Can you believe that you can be the source of joy in the omnipotent, omniscient, eternal, and infinite God of this universe? You can have that power in the life of God. Whoa, 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 whoa. Will you dare to believe in that kind of love and that kind of grace which is made possible through the Son of God, Jesus? It all starts with Him. Are you starting to see that God's been pursuing you? Are you starting to see the difference between the gospel and mere religion? Are you starting to see Jesus and the pleasure of God in you through him? And lastly, are you starting to move outward into other people's lives? Are you starting to be on mission? You see, on verse 16, Paul says, God was pleased to reveal his son in me. Why? So that I might preach him among the Gentiles. One of the signs that you're starting to get the gospel is that you feel compelled to move out of yourself into the lives of others. After all, the story of the gospel is a story of God himself who assumed upon himself ultimate discomfort for the love of others. God who left home in order to bring home those who weren't home. The story of the gospel always, if it's changing our lives and if we're getting it right, should push us outward in love towards other people. Which takes a miracle of grace, doesn't it? Paul, when writing the Corinthian church earlier in the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, Jesus died so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. In other words, one of the things that the gospel does is it heals us from self-centeredness that we can't break free of. And here's the thing. Sometimes you can embark on a spiritual road that simply leaves you in a worsened, now baptized form of self-centeredness. Spiritual navel-gazing. If all you're thinking about all the time is you, how am I doing with God? What is going on in my life? Introspection that becomes addictive and ultimately destructive. One of the signs that you are really getting the grace of God is that it becomes your joy to love other people. Because you're starting to learn that it was God's joy to love you.
And not just people like you, people different from you. Paul here, who was a Jew, moving out into the lives of Gentiles, non-Jews. Grace makes you notice people. Grace makes you love people. Grace makes you want to share your story of grace with other people. Gospelizing the world, neighbor, friend, roommate, coworker, whoever is in your life. If conversion is real, if a new relationship with God is real, if the grace of God in your life is real, it starts to put you on mission. It's not a separate thing. It's not an add-on thing. It's part and parcel with the organic thing of the power of the good news working in your life. Pastor Scotty Smith, wonderful mentor, writer, wrote this. To grow in grace is to find our place in the larger story of God's love. While the gospel of grace is for us, it is not exclusively about us. To come alive to the compelling love of God is to come alive to the consuming destinations of that love. Dear friends, where's the love of God taking you now? Into whose life? Into what relationship? Maybe that you've been resisting that God actually might be calling you into. To serve, to love, to bless, to relate, to challenge, to bear your wounds to repent, to forgive, all these things. In what ways is God propelling you outward on mission into the lives of other people? What an adventure. Oh, that the grace of God would come and change us like it changed the Apostle Paul. Oh, that we would see these marks and these signs, these questions answered by the reality of the true gospel made not from man, but straight from the heart and the mind of God, oh, that that reality might flourish in my life, in your life, and in our church, and through our church, in our neighborhood. Let's pray. God, thank you for this news that we wouldn't come up with on our own. We couldn't make it up. We don't think this way. Only you could achieve and create and offer a story of grace, because it comes from your heart, and you're so unlike us. We pray for the power of your gospel to work in our lives, to your glory, in many, many different ways. So I pray for people that are longtime followers of you, and I pray for people that are just getting to know you, that every one of us would have a new insight into your good news today. And please change our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing. It's an old hymn that we've redone. It's called, Oh, the Deep, Deep Love of Jesus, This Strong, Pursuing Love of God. Let's sing about it. Let's stand.